Welcome to the Young Baptist Podcast, the podcast committed to the centrality of the gospel and to encouraging believers to be captivated all over again by the beauty and glory of Christ. My name is Clay Maynard. I'm joined by my co-host, Josh Johnson. What's up, Josh? Uh, Not a lot, Clay. Just regular old busy Thursday. What about you? Ah, man, my life has been crazy lately, Josh. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I have been... I've just been running to and fro, as the old the King James earth. says. Yeah. yeah, running to and fro, and uh, just feeling it. I've been doing a lot of traveling. Some of it planned, some of it unplanned. Right. Um, my wife just had somebody near to her and her family pass away, so I'll be. I'm actually flying out at six a.m. tomorrow morning mm. to be at a funeral for for um, for somebody in my wife's family. Um, we got really sick, as you know, yep. what, a week or two ago. I missed basically a week of work and. Um, you just and you crazy. were on vacation when that all started, which is yeah, a bummer. We, yeah, I was on vac. Basically, the day I got to vacation, I got a fever, and so we we drove like seven hours to North Georgia just to sit in a cabin sick together. Yeah, don't you love it? Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then turned around and drove home. Yep, still sick. <laughs> yeah, and those kind of drives are the worst. Yeah, when we came back from Texas, I was sick. It was miserable driving, thirteen mm-hmm. hours or so. Yeah, so it's been uh, it's been busy, but uh, God is still good, and um, I'm grateful for where I'm at. Yeah, no, I can relate, Clay. It's been been super busy around here. The last month of October, we did like Wednesday night electives at the church, and I was teaching one of those, so lots of preparation went into that. I started my first master's class, and yeah, I. I hope I'm a master when this is all said and done. <laughs> <laughs> it's kicking my butt right now and it's only one class. Yeah. I um, mean, that's a good, that's a good thing then though. That means, that means the school, the seminary is doing its job. Yeah, I would say so. For sure. And then, yeah, just a lot coming up. Pastor Tyler's going on sabbatical. You're going out of town. Just yeah, a lot I'm, of stuff happening. I'm going uh, up to Virginia actually next week for the... For the conference put on by the uh, RFP podcast, the Carving Fundamentals podcast, you guys know our friends over there probably. They're hosting the For the Gospel conference, for the sake of the gospel conference. That's what it is. And so I'm going up there. I don't know. I'm supposed to sit on a panel, Josh. You were supposed to sit on a panel too, but you weren't able to make the trip. So I just can't afford that. Like I prefer uh, traditional seating over panel seating. <laughs> That was stupid. <laughs> no, but you, there's a lot going on at the church. It just kind of prevented you from being able to do it. Yeah. I know you got school going on and now with pastor's sabbatical coming up. By the way, you brought up those electives. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say, if you're a church out there and you're wondering how to revamp some Wednesday night action, this was great. Oh, yeah. Um, our pastors here, Josh and Tyler, brought in uh, two two different electives that people could choose to take on Wednesday night. So the church basically, the Wednesday night crowd basically split up. And so about half of them went to a class that was more practical, taught by our senior, our lead pastor, uh, called "How to Study the Bible." Mm-hmm. So basically, like a basically like a entry level hermeneutics yep. overview that was like four lessons. And then you did a study that was a little more theological on the Trinity. And um, I got to I've gotten to hear the lessons from both of those classes, um, except for the one that happened last, last night. night. Yeah. I haven't heard the one that I wasn't in, but. Uh, it was a fantastic idea, and I really feel like it. It was it got us into the deeper end of the pool than mm-hmm. a typical Wednesday night service. Yeah, 
So I'm really, I'm hoping we are able to do more of that because I know you can't do it all the time, right. but if, uh, I know that our turnout was better than typical Wednesday night services. It's kind of cool. Like I can choose between these two classes and, uh, just, and I think sometimes just change is fun. Mm-hmm. Do something a little different. So it was, it was, I think it was a win here for yeah. sure. And, uh, we did some like surveys and everything I've read so far has been, let's do this again kind of thing. So that's awesome. I'm all about it. Let's do it. Well, Josh, we're talking about gospel centrality today. Um, specifically, we've, we've kind of started a series on this, what it means to be gospel-centered. Right. And the first, uh, the first installation of this topic we did was on gospel-centered living. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does it mean to have a life shaped by, centered on the gospel? Today, we're going to advance that discussion to talk about church life. So the, what does it mean to be a gospel-centered church? Um, and so... You know, I think everybody has been in churches that um, that they've had bad experiences in. I think, I, well, I should say most people have, mm-hmm. have had bad experiences in churches. And so it's easy to think sometimes when we go into a church that, oh, this is supposed to be some refuge from the world where I'm not going to find the kind of chaos and sin that I find out in the world. I'm not going to find uh, unhealthiness here. I, I know that we sometimes assume that. It's like, oh, these people are all Christians. We all believe the gospel. We're going to, this is going to be a great environment. And sometimes it's not always. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, the healthiest churches are those that are centered on the gospel. But it's, I, I just, on the front end, I just think it's important that we realize that churches are not just automatically healthy. Mm-hmm. We live in a sin-cursed world. Just before we started recording, we were just talking about how human history is, is a lot of chaos and a lot of sin and a lot of destruction. So we shouldn't assume that just because we walk into a building that has a steeple on the top or whether it does or doesn't, because it says church on the sign, that, that we're going to be in a safe place. Right. If, if it's going to be a good place, if it's going to be a healthy place, and if it's going to be one that truly represents the God we serve and points people to Jesus, it's going to be because we did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. Healthy cultures don't just happen. And if you've even working jobs, you know this. It's true. If you've worked jobs where there was, where there was problems, you've had better jobs than others maybe, you know healthiness doesn't happen by accident, and it's no different in the church. So if we're going to be a, a church that truly focuses on the gospel, um, we're going to have to do it on purpose. Yeah, and that's true of everything. I mean, you can't expect yourself to live a healthy lifestyle without intentionality. That's going to bleed over into the church too because we are dealing with human people, like you said. And if there's no, if there's no purpose, if there's no intentionality, it, it, it ain't going to happen. Just period. Absolutely. Josh, on this topic of gospel centrality, you'll hear one of the criticisms I've heard of it is, oh, you're just, you'll even hear people say this. Oh, you just, all you want to talk about is the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I think when they say that, what they what they mean is they assume that when we say we want to talk about the gospel and we want that to be the main thing, and we always want to come back to that. I think they may sometimes assume that what we mean by that is all we're going to talk about is how to be saved. And we've heard about places that that's what they do a lot. Yeah. They, you mean they only talk about how to be saved? Yes. Okay. Where yeah. they, they focus, like take their Sunday morning on just preaching the gospel as far as the death, burial, resurrection of Christ and a call for repentance and faith every single week. And it ignores the fact that there are believers there growing that make up the majority of the com- uh, congregation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and I think in a way that's a fair 
a fair criticism. I I think it's a misunderstanding, but I think it's a fair criticism in a way. Yeah, if what you mean by gospel-centered or or uh, focused primarily on the gospel is that you only preach how to be how to find justification through faith then yes i would agree with you that that's that's um that's myopic mm-hmm. to focus to, to only talk about that but if what you mean by the gospel centered is what we mean which is that the gospel is not just the death burial and resurrection of christ that's the that's the that's the gospel story but the gospel what the gospel entails the gospel is not just one thing. It's actually a lens through which you see everything mm. and it impacts everything about your church. If you, if you realize that, then the gospel can be, you can be a one issue church in that sense, mm. that our focus is on the gospel. So I, you know, I know Christians tend to be one issue anyway. Um, I know that it's a temptation for everybody to get off, uh, you know, to, to focus on one thing and to be that one issue Christian who if you're not, if I'm not coming to, to meet with our church and I'm not hearing teaching and preaching regularly on my issue, I'm upset and I'm wondering why I'm not hearing about it mm-hmm. enough because that's all I want to talk about or think about. We all have that friend on Facebook. All they do is post about like the blood moons in Israel and, yeah. and all they want to talk about or think about is the end times, right? Well, and we saw this fleshed out during the pandemic especially during the election cycles, there's articles you can read on it that if people didn't feel like their own political persuasions were talked about enough, they literally left churches. Leave churches, yeah. Over those kind of things. Yeah, you, if, you, if you wanted your people to wear masks, maybe I left because, oh, you're one of those people. Or, or if you didn't require masks, mm-hmm. there were other people who were mad about that. Or, or if you shut your doors and, or if you didn't shut your doors, then you either were a liberal or you didn't care about people's lives or, whatever they it was just it was any other thing and by the way i believe i believe the devil is perfectly happy with anything else being the focus of the church oh yeah i'm i fully believe that even if it's a biblical topic even if it's a topic that can be found you know there's information on it in the bible if it's not supposed to be the main thing you know then it's then we can't we can't get sidetracked and make it the main thing mm-hmm. and i i think within the last few years I feel like those topics move even faster than they ever have. Like CRT became a big thing where I, I see people on social media and I see people writing blog posts basically talking about if you're not preaching against the CRT social gospel, then you're going to lose, you know, you're going to lose the next generation and all this kind of, it's the greatest threat to the gospel. People would say stuff like that. And I just, I'm baffled by that. Well, it's such a shallow view of the gospel. <laughs> right. There, there is, there is actually no threat to the gospel. Yeah, Jesus's kingdom marches on. I'm not saying that there's not truth to be learned by studying these things, and that there isn't real dangers possibly out there. Um, I just don't. I don't. I know that there's a lot of Christians who think uh, it's easy to not realize you're a one issue Christian and be and, and still be a one issue Christian. I got my little soapbox. And then there's even people, I think that they tend to be very divisive people, but the soapbox changes every year or two. You know, they're, they're talking about this this year, and then they're talking about something else next year. Right. And usually those things are never the gospel. The gospel never ends up becoming the focus. It's always this revolving door of issues mm-hmm. that they want to fight about, essentially. And I think that's probably the biggest commonality, is that it's divisive, and, and, and there's a lot of fighting that goes into that. Because I think maybe every other, is there anything that the church can be focused on that doesn't lead to division at some point down the line, probably? 
Hmm. That's an interesting thought. It probably all at some level will lead to divisiveness. Well, I mean, even the gospel does. Ah, that's true. If you think about it. Hmm, that's a good question. I guess the question would be, is it the kind of division that needs to take place because over the truth, or is it the kind of division yeah. that's a waste of time it's, because it's a distraction? It's a it's a more of a healthy division, I would think. Yeah. Hmm. I never thought about that. I guess there really isn't any sort of an issue that a church could face that wouldn't cause some sort of a division in some way. Yeah. Healthy or unhealthy. Right. Because yeah, we've had people leave this church because of because of our focus. Yeah. They didn't appreciate the focus that we had here. And that's their God's children. He'll take care of them. I'm not worried about them, but we weren't going to alter our, our focus here. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Keller says, because the gospel is endlessly rich, it can handle the burden of being the one main thing of a church. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's the only thing that can be the one main thing of a church and handle it properly. So, Josh, what is a gospel-centered church? What, what could I look for? What am I wanting to see if I'm a leader in a church or if I'm just a, even a member at a church? I want to be a part of a gospel-centered church. What do we, what do we see? You brought up something that, um, that Ray Ortland used, sort of three words, and I think we're going to sort of drill down on this, but I, let's start with this. I think the, a gospel-centered church has to first care about the purity of the gospel. Yes, 100%. I mean, if you don't get it right, You've got nothing to stand on. Yeah. It can't be a false gospel. And this just means that we actually care about doctrinal purity in the gospel. Yes. Um, we're not going to be so, we're not going to be milk toast about, you know, or sheepish or shy about saying that we preach the gospel according to the scriptures or, or it's not worth standing on, it's not worth defending. And corruptions of the gospel are all around us. We could spend a whole episode talking about how we, a whole episode, we could do a whole season on the various disruptions and corruptions of the gospel that are out there. Uh, There's people that attack the deity of Christ. There's people that uh, second guess the blood atonement. There's, there's all kinds of ways to, uh, to not take seriously the purity of the gospel. You can't actually be gospel-centered if you don't care about the purity of the gospel. So that, yeah, that's going to rub some people the wrong way. Well, There's people- you're going to struggle to even really be a sound church if you don't care about the purity of the gospel. And yeah. if orthodoxy isn't anything important to you, then you're going to end up going down the wrong path anyways, and you're building a faulty foundation there. Well, a lot of these guys, we were just talking about these one-issue Christians who, who go from thing to thing or, or have their particular soapbox. A lot of those guys end up corrupting the gospel by trying to pit by trying to cudgel the gospel into their issue. And so that can be a corruption of the gospel in a way mm-hmm. by making it about some issue. And in other words, you, if you actually believe the gospel, you're doing, you're, you're doing what I think you should do in this area. So they, they sort of try to pigeonhole it like that. Um, but well, we can't do that. say that if we take the gospel and then we try to add something onto it and do something in addition to it, we're going to end up uh, diminishing some of the potential uh, if you will, gospel power in the ministry. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, because we're, we've, we've hitched something to its wagon. Mm-hmm. It's an agenda that we've hitched to the, to the wagon of the gospel, and all it's going to do is rob it of its power because it's not, it's not the gospel that was delivered. 
by the apostles. If the apostles weren't preaching in the first century, then it's not it's not essential to the gospel. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, the, what does Romans one say? The gospel is the power of God. Mm-hmm. We start ladling it down with all of our stuff, and uh, we're just going to confuse people, and we're going to be compromising the purity of the gospel message. Yeah. I think the gospel has one primary agenda, and that's the glory of God in His kingdom being built. And if we try to build our own kingdoms into that, then we're going to miss it. We're going to end up. I won't say we we're going to screw the gospel up because we can't do that, but we'll damage our churches deeply. Yeah. Yep, and 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 hurt our own effectiveness, mm-hmm. and 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 live distracted lives. Yep, you know. Now we have to care about the purity of the gospel. Uh, Josh, you mentioned that the gospel should be the driving force of the church, mm-hmm. not just an add-on. Um, you, you're, you just spoke of hitching something to the wagon of the gospel. We do that long enough before you know it, we've, done, we've, we've, we've reversed, and now the, the this cart's other, before the horse. Yeah, now the, the gospel's the cart. Yeah. Or I should say, yeah, the gospel's the cart being drugged by, mm-hmm. by whatever else is actually more important to us. And, and I think that takes intentionality again, where we we're talking about that because we have our things, we have our, our, uh, uh, specialties, if you will. And we have to, we have to examine those things and choose to do those things based upon, um, gospel effectiveness instead of just pragmatic effectiveness. Like, is this driving the mission or is it just this is one of our things that we do. And after a while, and this is why I think churches have so many like golden cows because they become those things that this is just what we do. Instead of asking the question, what, how does this fit into actual gospel ministry and applying the gospel to those things? Yeah. What we do is we have, uh, we have the songs that we like on Sunday morning and then the preacher brings the sermon that we've hired him to bring. And then we have uh, potlucks on these days mm-hmm. and we, and it turns into this essentially this social club where we also preach the Bible while we're here. And it's really about our little kingdom. Yeah. Our little system. And it can be even, uh, we talked about issues already, but I know a few, within the last few years, I know people who've, who've told me that they have sensed that their churches were in diverse contexts where they weren't doing a very good job of reaching a diverse audience. And so they started talking in their church more about, you know, things like racial reconciliation, like, Hey, we live in a divided city, a very divisive city. What are we doing to be agents of reconciliation across all the lines that the gospel crosses throughout the new Testament? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good thing. That's a, that's a wonderful thing for a church to be having that kind of reflection about like, Hey, are we, are we too content not reaching certain people? Um, when we should be trying to reach everyone, yeah. every nation, every people, every tribe. And that's a wonderful thing. But then there's, but that can become, you can become too focused on that. Mm-hmm. You can be so focused on that, that to you, that's the gospel. The gospel is now about inclusion and diversity. Right. No, it's not. The gospel can, the gospel certainly will have that effect, mm-hmm. right? We know in Revelations 5, the, the, those gathered on the throne are from yeah. every kindred type, tribe and tongue. So that is an effect of the gospel, but, um, you know, and then there was even those who saw people doing that and got mad at them for it. And so their whole thing became yelling at people for doing that. Mm-hmm. And so it just, again, these are distractions and they will, I, I do believe you focus on it long enough. It takes over the main stage. Oh yeah. Because and, we're sinners and because we can, 
the truth is we can get glory by being distracted to any other thing. Mm-hmm. We can make ourselves the focus the moment we make it about something else. If we're actually focusing on Christ and God's glory in the gospel, that's a self-sacrificing thing. Yeah. So, and I think churches who are doing a really good job of it can get distracted and have to sort of refocus and be like, you know what? No, this is not the main thing. We've talked about this, but we're not going to make this the main thing. And I think something else that could potentially be dangerous is, is in initially beginning on a path that might be more social or, um, let's just go that way, social oriented and seeing <laughs> great gospel success in that and then not being willing to step back over time and reevaluate and say, okay, is this still, are we still doing this because this is moving gospel ministry forward or are we doing this because this has worked for so long? Yeah. Are we off track? Yeah. And I think sometimes those things end up becoming, and churches can end up becoming, say, social platforms where Jesus gets invited instead of being yeah, absolutely you know, Christ-centered which is what we're driving at today. So the gospel is the driving force, not an add-on. And I think the last thing we have here is that, and this is where we use Ray Ortland's rubric here, is that the church should strive for a culture that represents the gospel. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've touched on this already, but let's, let's drill in a little bit. So we, the church has to care about the purity of the gospel. In other words, the doctrinal, it has to be doctrinally pure, but it also has to represent the gospel in the way that the culture operates, the way that we live. Yeah. It has to be both. And churches tend to usually probably do one or the other well and struggle with the other one. I don't know. It's possible. But I know that I've been in churches that did one well, struggled with the other one. Mm -hmm. They were great about preaching the purity of the gospel, but they were not so good about living a culture that represents the gospel well. Yeah. So we've got some notes here. Let's go through them. What is a church that strives for a culture uh, that represents the gospel? What does it look like? Well, Ortland's formula is basically gospel plus safety plus time. So let's just, let's just break those down. Sure. So gospel. So this is what? This is the exposure and application of the gospel to mm-hmm. our life. Yep. This is a consist- being consistently reminded of, consistently proclaiming, and living in the light of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of ways to do this. But it's important that a church is doing it. Yes. If our, if our culture is going to represent a gospel-centered culture and it's going to represent the gospel well, we have to be exposing people over and over again in intentional ways and applying the gospel's truths to our lives. Um, we've recently, I know at our church, started doing more communion. Within, I, was that this year we started doing yeah. it? Mm-hmm. We started doing it once a month. And I'm not saying... You have to do it once a month, but I have appreciated the increased focus on the, on communion because what is the Lord, what is the table? What is the Lord's supper? It is a reminder of what Christ has accomplished for us. Mm -hmm. It's his broken body. It's his blood that's been shed. That has increased, I think in our church, um, our awareness on an ongoing basis of the gospel Mm -hmm. in a very healthy way. So you, I, this is something we all have to ask. Are we doing a good enough job returning to the gospel and exposing ourselves over and over again and applying it to the gospel's truths to our lives? Um, I think you can find gospel application in almost every sermon. Oh, yeah. I mean, the truth is it's, it's, you can always go back to the finished work of Christ. If nothing else, as the motivation 
in any sermon. I can I can preach a message on on almost anything, and I can at the end return to the gospel's truths from for the, for the power the, to to do what is right in this area, the motivation, and we're looking to Jesus, who Himself went before us and said, "Follow in my steps." So if I'm preaching on the tongue, I can go back to Jesus, the centrality of who Jesus was and what He accomplished for us. If nothing else, then to say. Hey, once we've been changed by the power of the gospel and forgiven for our for the way we've used our tongues, we can look to Jesus and how did he speak? Yeah. And he went before us and he gave his life so that we could be forgiven for the way we used our tongues, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you can it's so easy to to make the focus of preaching the gospel. Yeah. But it requires uh it requires work and intentionality. That's true. You can't just commit to if gospel doctrine is going to be a priority, then you have to dig deep. Yeah. And that's not just the, that's not just the pastor. That's everyone. Uh, you have to be willing to dig deep and, and mine that out of the scripture and find, and I don't want to say find it as if it's hidden, but you know, do the work that's required yeah. to draw those applications. Those applications. Out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, there's the exposure, there's gospel is the first thing that Orland mentions. Mm-hmm. And then he mentions safety. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which, this is a really, this is a great word. Yeah. But it's very, it's very interesting how this, how this looks in a church. What does it look like for a church to be a safe place? I think something that it's not is it's not supposed to be a safe place for sin. In fact, uh, sinfulness should, and hidden sin should, should cause people consternation in a real gospel centered place, knowing that their sin is not going to be it's going to be exposed in the light of the gospel. That's what the gospel does is it exposes sin. And so there shouldn't be a sense in the sense of like, I can just hide this away and I'll be okay. The, the safety is found in saying, I, I have this sin and there's safety here to say, I have this sin. And I don't think we've seen a lot of that, at least in our circles in particular, there's been more of a facade building covering up of sin don't kind of like we'll preach it sin but if it really actually practically comes up we're not going to necessarily do much about it in a gospel culture it's not that sin is welcomed but it's welcomed in the sense of okay you're safe this is a safe place for you to admit and to be honest and to say i'm a sinner and i need help and that's what the church should be you, as you're talking about that, something just occurred to me that I've not really thought of before. Churches that make, should church, a gospel-centered church doesn't make sin safe, but it does make sinners safe. Yeah. And if a sinner feels safe to be honest about sin in the church, it's, it's safe for the sinner, but not for the sin, because mm-hmm. the sin's going to get dealt with. But what's weird, Josh, is the reverse is also true. If sinners don't feel safe, that actually makes the sin safer. Because if the sinner doesn't feel safe in a gospel, you know, if if the sinner's not in a gospel-centered church and he doesn't feel safe to be honest, it actually hides the sin and makes the sin more powerful. Mm -hmm. So the sin is where where the sinner is truly safe and he feels the ability to be honest. The sin is not safe at all. Right. Because now in, in a community that's shaped by the gospel that can be dealt with, Whereas if the sinner doesn't feel safe, there's not going to be grace for them. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be safety in the church. They actually will probably hide the sin and it makes the sin more safe. 
because it's going to grow yeah. and metastasize in the darkness. And this is not to say that in a gospel culture, sin should not be called out because we're trying to develop safety. I think the opposite is true. It should be called out, knowing that in that culture, there is, there is freedom, there is uh, uh, openness and potential for confession and repentance. Safety just means, what safety means is that you're part of the family. You don't lose your place because yeah. you're a sinner. And it's not the end. It actually, the gospel actually gives you the confidence to face your sin without, without being destroyed by it. Mm-hmm. I can now be honest about who I am because I'm a child of God. I, I'm not defined by the sin anymore. So even though I'm still plagued by it, um, Jesus has died for me and redeemed me. And he says who I am. And now I can, I can if somebody, if I go to a church and I'm, and I'm exhibiting some serious issues that are causing problems and somebody approaches me about it, I actually should be able to have the humility to accept it mm-hmm. and not fall into a pity party about it because it's not the end. It's, it, it, this is part of dealing with a sinful nature. And because of the gospel, I have the confidence to say, I'm going to face this. Thank yeah. you. And be, truly be grateful for it. And to the, the one that's not a believer, being in a safe environment and hearing even honesty about sin helps them know, okay, I'm accepted here. Not what I've done, but who I am. And, you know, I can learn more about the grace and truth and love of Christ here and confess and repent of my sin and begin a relationship with God. Yeah, the truth is, too, an outsider would probably be shocked if... <laughs> they saw more church environments where there was such honesty happening. Mm-hmm. They, would, they would feel safe automatically because they would see that other people are willing to be honest about the areas of their life they're broken. And that would be a, a, such a, a clarion call probably to, to even outsiders who mm-hmm. come in and see and they're thinking like, man, where do these people come from? And what, where do they get off just being so honest about the fact that they sh- fall short and, 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 the sh- and the encouragement and the love that they experience? from each other to strive for, for pleasing God, you know, in spite of the, the failures they've had. And this might be the biggest indictment against the church in America is that we've built this uh, reputation where people are like, well, if they're not familiar with the church, if they're not saved, you hear things like, well, I don't know if I'd be welcome there or, well, I don't wear the right things or fill in the blank with any number of, excuses that you've heard from people who are unsaved about why they haven't come to the church. Well, that's not their fault. I think that falls on the church for not having developed a safe place for sinners to come in and just be honest that they're sinners and admit, yeah, I sinned. Yep. Yep. And well, the truth is it's just, they end up finding out too, it's just hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. We're all sinners anyway. So if they're, if we're hiding it, we're just doing a good job. We've just figured out a good, a figured out how to do a good job of hiding it. It's not that we're not doing it. We're just not being honest about it. I actually ran across this quote a little while back. Uh, David Kinnaman says this. He said, what are Christians known for? Outsiders think our moralizing, our condemnations, and our attempts to draw boundaries around everything. Even if these standards are accurate and biblical, they seem to be to the outsiders all we have to offer. And our lives are oftentimes a poor advertisement for the standards. We have set the game board to register lifestyle points. Then we're surprised to be trapped by our own mistakes. The truth is we've invited the hypocrite image. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think gospel, gospel cultures in a church has to fight that. You, we, you, Orland uses the word safety here. We've got a few words. You should see grace. 
You should see honesty. You should see accountability. And we've talked about all three of those. Mm -hmm. You should also see hospitality and compassion. And that is what I think outsiders should do. We should do a better job of making sure outsiders understand, like feel actually feel that. Mm -hmm. And if an outsider comes in and tells you something about your church culture, hey, I felt this way, man, listen to them. Mm -hmm. What did they, what did they experience? They have no reason to lie to you. They're going to tell you what they experienced there. And so if you have, if there's, if you get uh, markers of, of what people are experiencing when they come into your assembly, take note of that. Yep. They should feel, because we have been redeemed by pure grace, I'm in no position to be unwelcoming to somebody. Mm-hmm. I'm in no position to look down at anybody who comes into, our, into one of our services. The, and they should feel that. If I'm truly welcoming and I'm truly showing them the love of God that I've been given freely then uh, they should feel that hospitality and And, that compassion. And people aren't stupid. Yes. You can fake it all you want, but people aren't stupid. That's right. They can see right through that kind of stuff. (laughs) We might be good at faking, but we're not that good. Yeah. (laughs) We sometimes think we're good at it. Mm -hmm. People, people are going to, they're going to feel it. Whatever's actually true. It's true. Which brings us to this last thing that uh, Ray Orland mentions here. He says, gospel, safety, and time. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, what a, a, a wise observation that gospel culture takes time and a church shaped by the gospel takes time and people changed by the gospel takes time. Mm-hmm. So what, is, what does it look like to give time? Uh, it means that we are encouraging growth. Yep. It means that there should be people in a, in a, in a good church at various stages of their Christian life. Uh, but moving in the same direction, mm-hmm. right? I'll, I've heard some people, somebody class, call it a long obedience in the same direction. Yep. Um, gospel-centered churches should be patient with those around us. Um, we should be able to love one another through the process, even through some of the sinful parts and even through some of the ugly parts. Yes, yeah, because we have to acknowledge that even that we are even in the pro- in process we're still in sanctification yeah and think we expect people to be where we're at immediately and that's just that's unfair and that's yeah. not gracious that's not going back to safe that's really not creating a safe environment for gospel growth uh that's kind of a hostile place to be well and and we talked the first point was about exposing ourselves mm-hmm. why why is there the need for the repeat, repeated exposures because we don't get it right away yeah I mean, how many times do you tell a kid no on the same thing? Right. Uh, we don't really get better that necessarily as we get older. We don't get things right away. Things have to be repeated to us over and over again. That's why we, that's why we have repetition. Mm-hmm. If you're in a field, any field that requires any level of, of uh, experience or, or you know, credentials, you know that there was places all along the way where you had to memorize things, you had to learn things, you, had, you learned oh, little yeah. You learned little acronyms, you had flashcards, you whatever. Why? Because these were these fundamental things you needed to know mm-hmm. in order to understand this, whatever science or, or job or whatever you're doing. And this is true in a church. If we're going to have a culture shaped by the gospel, we're gonna ha- it's going to take time and we're going to have to work toward it. Um, Do you think sometimes we're so unwilling to, to grant people time in the church is because of all the things in our lives the gospel and Christianity is so incredibly high stakes. It's so incredibly important. And so we think 
there should be like some ins- insane sense of urgency behind it. Yeah, I just told you. You got it? Yeah. So, yeah, you got this now, right? Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that is part of it. Like, hey, we're talking about, hey, I really need you to figure out how to be a better parent. You're raising these kids. They're having this experience right now. You're going to ruin them. What's the matter with you? Mm-hmm. Do what I said. That kind of attitude, you think, like this this mentality that um, we need to make the change right now. But that doesn't work. None, that doesn't hasn't worked with any of us that way. In any realm. No, we don't change overnight. And even supernatural change, God works in us. Philippians 1, he says he's begun the good work in us and he will complete the good work in us mm-hmm. at well, the day of Jesus Christ. So really, this is maybe an important part. This, well, it isn't. It's, he used the word time here. It's so important because it doesn't happen automatically. The, it's, and it's actually not, an ex, it's not exhaustive at any point in our life. There's never a point in our life where we're like, we did it. We're at the destination. We made it. Yeah. It doesn't really work that way. Jesus, Philippians 1, 6 says, God, Jesus completes it at the day of Jesus Christ. That's going to be the day where we're finally whole. And we're supposed to be in devotion and in sanctification all the way up into that point. But that is, it's just a process and it's, it's, it's a journey that we're all on. The other thing, Josh, I think is the reason we do it is, is you mentioned because it's urgent mm-hmm. and truth is, this truth is so important. But probably too, because it makes us feel good if there's something we're better at than somebody else. Oh yeah. So it's easy. It's 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 kind of fun to point that out. Maybe like, hey, I'm so much farther along than they are in this area. But we also we often don't factor in that we often didn't start at the same place as other people. Yeah. You know, God, I came from a different place than somebody else did. They might have actually come further than me. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, under having this understanding of time, I'm not going to get there. Fellowship Baptist Church where we serve is not going to get there next week right? or next month or next year. Next year, hopefully, we'll be a, a healthier church than we are today and a growing church and a doing a, great, a, a good job of proclaiming God's glory and gospel. But, and the goal is to be further than we are today. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to be there. We're not going to be at the destination. We're still going to be um, in process. We're still going to be under God's under God's. In God's hands, I should say. Yeah. It occurs to me that this is exactly how, how Jesus in his relationship with his disciples were, was. There was gospel doctrine. He was teaching them. There was safety. How many times do we see the disciples talking to Jesus and asking questions? Yes. Or, and or, then, or failing. And outright failing. failing like falling just short. Look at Peter. And then we see time. All the way up until before even Jesus left, he was dealing with Peter over and over and over again. And what did Jesus never do? He never cast any of them out. No. He never got mad. He never got, he never was like, you guys are a bunch of, bunch of idiots. Yeah. We don't see anything like that. We see grace on repeat with Jesus and his disciples. Yeah. Speaking the truth to him, reminding them of what they needed to know and showing them grace. Peter is one of the great, there's a lot of examples of this in mm-hmm. the, in the, in the gospels, but one prop, maybe my favorite was when Jesus tells them, um, after he, after he rises from the dead, he tells them to go tell the disciples and Peter and Peter. Mm-hmm. And the first person I actually heard talk about this, I, I'm not the biggest fan of him. Well, maybe I'll just leave his name out. Yeah, it's okay, it's a famous, good, it's yeah. a famous author. <laughs> it's a famous author. Um, that I, I've, let me put it this way. I like some of what he says and I don't like other things he says, but 
God bless him. He's done. And, and the truth is he wrote some, some stuff that really helped me at a time in my life. But in, in one of his books, he, he pointed out that Peter had just denied Jesus. And the Bible says that he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was essentially feeling like maybe I'm done. You know, I think I, I, think I actually, um, I think I might actually be done. I don't think I'm, I'm really worth being one of Jesus's disciples. And he goes back to fishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he just, well, let's go back to work. And Jesus sends for him and he says, tell the disciples to come. And he says to tell, tell the disciples and Peter, almost as if to say, in case Peter hears the disciples and says, yeah, he doesn't mean me. I want Peter to know I mean him too. I'm not done with him. Yeah, that's good. And man, what a, maybe you're listening and you haven't, maybe you haven't been giving yourself time. Maybe you've, you woke up today and you said, again, I, I committed this sin again. I, I fell short in this way today. I've been, I've been saved for 10 years now. Mm-hmm. I've been fighting with this sin for 20 years. I do the best I can. I strive. I'm in church. I read my Bible. I'm, I know that God has sanctified me in so many ways. What is the matter with me? Mm-hmm. And my encouragement to you is God's not done with you either. Yeah. So if you say something you shouldn't say, or you go someplace you shouldn't go, or you think something you shouldn't think, and you wonder, why would God fool with me anymore? Just remember, your God is not done with you yet. Yeah. You are not a completed project. Mm-hmm. And one day, you're, you will never say the things you shouldn't say. You'll never do the things you shouldn't do because God will, be, will have completed you. Yeah. You'll be finished. But that day is not yet. And it won't be here on this earth. That's right. <laughs> Anything else, Clay? That's it, man. There it is. There it is. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Young Baptist Pod. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review wherever you consume the content. Be sure to check out our website, theyoungbaptistpodcast.com, for more resource recommendations and to join our YBP community.